Parem. Uau. I expect you're thinking I'm going to say something cute about the holiday. And that would be wrong, wouldn't it? And insensitive. Happy Fourth. Oh, happy fall. Freedom. You know, I, uh, forgive me, but I, I, I say this every year. I have to just, because people still come up to me, despite my saying this every year, and they ask if we celebrate the 4th of July in England. Why would we do that, people? Hey, we lost. Get some fireworks, honey. So, uh, it's great though, and, uh, I'm going to drive home this evening with a blanket over my head and uh, the British are coming. <laughs> it's great to see you. Uh, last week uh, I was in India uh, shooting a film for Compassion, uh, the children's charity. It was 118 degrees and 97% humidity. How many believe that's wrong? That's just wrong. I thought I had died and gone to the wrong place. And so... It is a joy to see you. Well, we are continuing this series, Portraits of Jesus. We've thought about the Word. We've thought about the life giver. And, and by the way, I just, just having a ride back, I've just seen these wonderful portraits that our team have put together. Could you put your hands together for the team that does this stuff? Because I think they do a, an amazing job. Well, this weekend we are thinking about Jesus, the healer, and we're going to be looking at John uh, chapter 5. Bear in mind that uh, as we share this time together this evening, my task is not really to uh, unwrap a theology of healing, although we are going to obviously be, be looking at that subject, but our, our brief really is portraits of Jesus, the healer, and that's slightly different. And so we're going to look at him and see uh, how he functioned as he brought an amazing healing into the life of one particular man. So, if you've got a Bible with you, have a look with me at John chapter 5, please. John chapter 5 and verse 1. John 5 and verse 1. And this weekend, for reasons that I'll explain later, I'm reading to you from the New American Standard Version. Uh, It's got nothing to do with a holiday, it's just... uh, Um, a particular reason I'll share with you in a moment. After this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem at the Sheep Gate a pool called in Hebrew Bethesda with five porticos. In these lay a large number of ill, blind, lame and crippled. And and you're probably thinking, what happened to verse 4? It's not there. Well, I'll explain that in a little while. Don't panic everything's fine. But we're not looking at verse 4 because there really shouldn't be a verse 4. But I'll explain that later. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he'd been ill for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. While I'm on my way, someone else gets down there before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your mat and walk. Immediately the man became well, took up his mat and walked. Now that day was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who was cured, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to carry your mat. He answered them, the man who made me well told me, take up your mat and walk. 
And they asked him, who is the man who told you, take it up and walk? The man who was ill did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away since there was a crowd there. After this, Jesus found him in the temple area and said to him, look, you are well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went and told the Jews that Jesus was the one who had made him well. Therefore, the Jews began to persecute Jesus because he did this on a Sabbath. In just a few days from now, uh, I will be 53 years of age. Uh, I know I look older, I've had a terribly rough life. And I have learned over the course of my 53 years that there are some questions that you should never, ever ask. And I, I wish they'd taught me this in high school. For example, gentlemen, let me help you out. Never, ever, under any circumstances, ever say to a lady who is not well known to you, or possibly is not your wife, never ever say, when's the baby due? (laughs) How many know this can be an incredible recipe for a punch in the mouth? It is not a good idea. I have done this when the baby was not due. And the lady hated me for the rest of my life. Never ever ask the question, are you her mother? I did this once in a, in a hospital. I was visiting a lady and another lady was at the bedside and I said innocently, are you her mother? And she said, no, I am her sister. Are you blind? It was not very helpful. Never stop at the side of the road when someone has the, the bonnet, uh, the hood up. In England we say bonnet. I have not got a clue why. You don't keep your hat in there, do you? It's really stupid. Thank God you got independent of us. <laughs> Never stop at the side of the road when someone's got the hood up and ask the stupid question, is there something wrong with your car? What are they going to say? No, I'm just giving my engine a little hug. It's a question you should never ask. And in all of my years as a pastor during hospital visitation, there is one question that I have never asked the entire time, and that is this. Would you like to be well? Duh. Of course a person who is unwell would like to be well. But that's the question that Jesus, the healer, asked. At the time, it was most likely the Passover, although we're not sure and it doesn't really matter. The place was Bethesda, this little pool, this portico near the the sheep gate that is mentioned in Nehemiah, fairly near to the temple in Jerusalem. And look at the context of this question. And if you're following along in the outline, you can follow that because here's the first point. The context was one of desperation and superstition when Jesus, the healer, asked this question. Look at verse 3. In these lay a large number of ill, blind, lame and crippled. Verse 5. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. This was a place, my brothers and sisters, of incredible despair and desperation. Just a few days ago, Kay and I went to the house for the destitute and dying in Kolkata, formerly known as Calcutta, founded by 
Mother Teresa. And as we walked into that place and saw people on cots, some of them with limbs that big around, I don't think I have ever been in a place of such despair. Here was Bethesda. Interestingly, at least to me, Bethesda means house of mercy, just as the House of Mercy in Calcutta is a place to care for the dying. So this was a house of mercy. And this man, this man that Jesus meets, has been suffering from this disability, it's not named, for 38 years. So get that, for longer than Jesus has been on the planet, this man has been profoundly sick. Think about the, the hopelessness of that condition. Think about the isolation and loneliness, because isn't it true that so often when you're ill, you feel isolated? I'm looking around here uh, at some friends in this congregation, Um, one or two of you that I've met recently in hospitals here, here in in this part of northern Colorado, And, and you know what's impacted me when I've visited some of our hospitals? It is the level of kindness and personal attention and care that is uh, so uh, available. And that's really important because when you're ill, you feel isolated. Uh, One person who suffered from continuous pain said this, the biggest effect of sickness is social isolation. You don't believe you can go out and meet people anymore. You don't believe you have anything to offer them. In a sense, your pain becomes your identity. Remember that. There's nothing else to speak about. All your experience is about pain and being in a bed surrounded by four walls. It becomes a self-perpetuating cycle. This man is living in this place of desperation. It's also a place of superstition as well, because there was a popular idea that an angel would come and stir the waters, and the first person who got in was healed. Now, you may have a Bible that actually describes that, the missing verse 4. Whoever got in first was healed. Uh, The reason that I have not read that is because, for example, in the NIV and in the uh, the New American Standard, that verse is not included, and rightly so. And the reason it's not included is because it doesn't appear in any Greek manuscript before AD 400. It was added in later, using language which is blatantly untypical of John in his writing propping up the superstition. Sacred pools were, and healing shrines characterized Greek cults like that of Asclepius. And it's a cruel idea as well when you think about it. I know, I know, let's have a race for people with disabilities to see who can get into the pool first. That is a pretty weird, dare I say, sick idea. And so rightly, for the reasons that I've outlined, verse 4 does not appear in the best manuscripts. There's desperation here and there is superstition. Desperation creates superstition. And by the way, when it comes to healing, we've got our own Christian versions of superstition. Just today, researching this and finishing up this message, I found out about uh, a medieval monastery in France. All of the best monasteries in in the Middle Ages, had relics of the saints. And there is a French shrine where there is the skull of a 12-year-old boy 
and they claim that it's John the Baptist. Can anyone see a slight problem with this? This either means that John the Baptist was an extremely precocious 12-year-old with a highly developed ministry or that he spent from the age of 12 until his execution without a skull because he donated it. I mean, how weird is that? You know, that guy's pretty sick. You know, he locusts, honey, and a head like a rubber chicken. What is that all about? It's amazing what people will believe when it comes to healing. And we've got our own versions of it. Positive confession. This idea that if you're sick, you just deny the symptoms and that because you do that as an act of faith, that will make you better. Let me put my head with a skull on the line here. This is theologically destitute. Faith is not about denying the reality. Faith is about affirming that God is able to break into the reality. You can say amen if you'd like to encourage me. I told you before, a man came up to me. He said, uh, he said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure, go ahead. He said, he said, is it all right to say that I've got a headache? I said, excuse me. He said, is it all right to say that I have a headache? I said, well, look. Without sounding like Julie Andrews, let's start at the very beginning. <laughs> Have you got a headache? And he kind of looked around like, he said, yes. You see, he had been taught positive confession. If you're sick, then deny it. Mind over matter. I heard of one church where this was preached. The lady came and they said, where's your husband? And she said, he's sick. They said, no, he just thinks he's sick. She said, oh, great, I'll go home and tell him. She came back the next week. They said, where's your husband? She said, he's sick. They said, no, he just thinks he's sick. She said, oh, I'll go back and tell him. The next week she came. They said, where's your husband? She said, well, he thinks he's dead. <laughs> Positive confession is not the way forward. And then this is, there's this idea that some people are not healed because of a lack of faith. Well, you know, it's, it's your problem, honey. I'm really sorry. Not only have you got cancer... But it's your fault. Boy, we know how to kick people when they're down, don't we? There is no evidence of that whatsoever. This guy had no faith at all. He had more faith in the pool than he had in Jesus. Jesus said, you want to get well? He says, well, I've got this problem. I can't get into the pool in time. He's got more faith in the pool than he has in Jesus and he doesn't even know the identity of the man who heals him. So the, the Jewish people come to him and they say, who told you to carry that mat? He says, I don't know, this guy healed me. Hardly perfect faith. He had no clue. And then there's this idea, well, if you're not healed, it's got to be because there's sin in your life. Now in this story, Jesus finds the man in the temple and he says, Go and sin no more so that something worse doesn't happen to you. So in this instance, instance, there was some linkage between something the man had done and something to do with his sickness. That doesn't mean that that is always the case. And in John chapter 9, the disciples are debating a man born blind and they said, who sinned, him or his parents? And Jesus said, it's got nothing to do with that. We need to beware of these sweeping statements. Oh, by the way, forgive me for being so bold. But then there's the seed faith idea. You want to be healed? Then right now, just call the toll-free number on the screen. 
God wants you to charge up your Visa card. And as you do that, I will break the power. I'm pretty good at this. I think I go on TV. Can I just point out the fact that when Jesus went to the pool of Bethesda, he didn't say, well, listen, before we do anything else, let's take up an offering, boys. I want to be gentle and tactful. But this seed faith stuff is theological bunk. Because you don't buy your healing. You don't charge up your visa card. That is indulgences under another name. And it is high time that we spoke out about these things. Let us affirm tonight that Jesus still is the healer despite all of the superstition that surrounds this subject. Again, it's a good moment to say amen if you'd like. I am only here this evening because of healing. I I got healed before I got saved. And I didn't touch the screen. And I didn't write a check, but I got healed and that got my attention and now I'm here. Aren't you happy? (laughs) No, that's okay. No, no. My point is, we affirm tonight that we believe in healing. Jesus the healer. Despite some of the superstition, Christian and otherwise, that surrounds this subject. So, we better move into this outline because we're not making much progress. And there are fireworks to be fired. First of all, there's a question. Jesus saw a person, not a sickness. He gives an invitation. Look at verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he'd been ill for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be well? I've already raised this issue. It's a kind of a weird question, isn't it? And yet it's a very profound question. One of the reasons is, for this man to be healed means that there would be massive economic repercussions. Because he would no longer be able to beg for a living because his disability would be dealt with. And he's been in this condition for 38 years, so his career options are limited. And so there are economic repercussions here. But there's another key thought that I want us to see as we think about Jesus the healer. And that is this. Jesus saw a person, not a disability. Oliver Sacks, in his book, A Leg to Stand On, talks about how he felt like he lost his identity when he was hospitalized. He said this, One's own clothes are replaced by an anonymous white nightgown. One's wrist is clasped by an identification bracelet with a number. One becomes subject to institutional rules and regulations. One is no longer a free agent. One no longer has rights. One is no longer in the world at large. It is strictly analogous to becoming a prisoner and humiliatingly reminiscent of one's first day at school. One is no longer a person. One is now an inmate. Now, I think he massively overstates that. As I said earlier, we need to be grateful for, thank God for, and pray for the wonderful medical staff that serve our community who day after day make sure that that feeling is not perpetrated. Nonetheless, suffering with sickness can be dehumanizing. That's why inclusion matters. Jesus saw a man, not a disease. That's why it's important 
that people with disabilities have access to our buildings. It's not just a political issue, it's a kingdom issue. That's why a hearing loop matters. That's why the ministry of our signers in one of our Sunday services matters. That's why our language matters. Why haven't I used the New International Version this weekend? It's because the translation I struggle with. Because it describes this man as an invalid. And the word invalid is precariously close to the word invalid to me. And therefore I'm uncomfortable with it and I'm not sure it's a good translation of the Greek. Uh, No one is invalid. And I, I will not disgrace this platform by using some of the terms that I hear popular in the culture with people describing people who are suffering from mental or physical disabilities. But our language matters. It's not just about political correctness, it's about kingdom inclusion. I've got a broken nose. You probably noticed that. Peak 9 at Breckenridge was designed on this thing. That's not a bump, that's a mogul right there. How would I feel if you introduced me to your friends as, here comes old broken nose. I'd say, excuse me, my name is Jeff. Don't talk about the wheelchair guy. Don't talk about the blind guy. Because we are not just our most obvious disability. We are human beings that Jesus sees. When we were in India last week, we went to visit a project where people were being rescued from having to just live on a dollar a day. And we walked into this project and a little ten-year-old girl came up to me and she spoke to me in Bengali and I didn't understand and the translator said to me, she is asking you, Jeff, how is it that you are so beautiful? Now, this is not a question that I am frequently asked. (laughs) I know that comes as a big surprise to you. I'm not free. In fact, I've never been asked that question in my entire life. Why are you so beautiful? And I said, would you explain what you mean? And she looked at me and the members of the team as beautiful because we'd come to help. When you show people dignity and care, you become truly beautiful. Forget Tom Cruise. I'm happy to say. Forget the chiseled good looks of the glamour magazine. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of them that bring good news. We become beautiful when we see people and not just sickness. And then secondly, there's healing and mystery here as well. Jesus sees a person, but then there's a mystery here because one is healed and another is not. He is God. Look at verse 8. Jesus said to him, rise, Take up your mat and walk. Question, does Jesus heal today? Answer, yes. (coughs) Question, does Jesus heal everybody that asks for it? Answer, no. Question, why? Answer, I haven't got a clue. I wish I had seven reasons beginning with the same letter as to why. There is mystery in healing. This one man was healed and the rest were not at the pool of Bethesda. 
This was a sign. Isaiah 35, 6, the lame will leap like a deer. This is John's Gospel. This was the sign of Jesus, the life giver. But we've got to understand, if we embrace the theology of healing, that we must also embrace the theology of suffering. We must trust when we don't understand. And we must be careful too. Let me revert back to a previous point. Never say to someone who's sick, well, you just haven't got enough faith. Because you know what I've figured out as a pastor? Sometimes I find the greatest faith in the hospital ward. Sometimes I find the greatest trust in the cancer patient. How dare we suggest as a throwaway slogan, well, you just haven't got enough faith. There is mystery in this. Thirdly, quickly, there's provocation too. Provocation. There's this mat carrying and the Sabbath. Jesus Challenges. Look at verse 10. So the Jews said to the man who was cured, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to carry your mat. How many would agree with me? We human beings can be pretty stupid sometimes. This man has been healed, but they don't see that. They see a mat. They see some Sabbath breaking. There were 39 activities that you were prohibited to do on the Sabbath according to the scribes. This was not the law. They developed this addition to the law. This man technically wasn't breaking the law because he wasn't a furniture carrier by occupation. So he wasn't engaged in his regular occupation. And it all become absurd. By the way, do you know how you could get out of this problem? You were only allowed to travel a thousand yards on the Sabbath. So you know, what happened if you had a, a longer journey? You could tie a rope to your house and unravel that rope for a thousand yards. And then you could go another thousand yards because you'd extended your original home by a thousand yards. Would anybody agree with me? This is stupid beyond belief. But there's a challenge here. You see, this healing was a political act. Jesus could have just healed the man and according to the law, regular health practice was not appropriate on the Sabbath, but a healing like this would be okay. But Jesus says to this man very deliberately, pick up your mat. It is as if Jesus is saying to the Pharisees and the scribes, I am in your face. I will challenge your madness. And indeed, it becomes very risky because they begin to plot against him. He is this Jesus. He is not the gentle Jesus, meek and mild, smiling, grinning with a sheep round his neck. He's provocative. As we look at portraits of Jesus tonight, healer, are we still willing to allow Jesus to shake us up, to confront us, to get in our faces? Are we willing to be offended, irritated even by him? Well, the last point is this, and then we are going to pray about sickness and healing. The last point is that Jesus, the healer, he's a saviour, not a showman. Jesus dodges the crowd. He works quietly. Look at verse 13. The man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away since there was a crowd there. I love this, my brothers and sisters, because the Greek word here literally means to dodge the crowd. Now, Can you imagine what might have happened 
if certain evangelists had actually performed this healing. Ladies and gentlemen, I need to announce to you that here in this very place of Bethesda today, a man, this man, who has been unwell for no less than 38 years, yes, he has been healed, and a photograph of him will appear in my ministry magazine. Let's take the offering right now. I want you to hear my heart. I was back in the conference room listening to the worship, listening to the terrible comment that was made by a worship leader. <laughs> Praying, grace and forgiveness. No, it was great. I loved it. In fact, I've asked him to say the same thing the whole weekend. I think it's kind of cool. I said, say that spontaneously. That will be great. <laughs> but I, I want you to hear my heart here. You see, I might be sounding just a little bit angry about some of this exploitative stuff when it comes to healing. And do you know why that is? It's because I'm a little bit angry. It's bad enough, ma'am, that you have to battle that cancer. It's bad enough, sir, that you're waiting for the result of that test and you are terrified. But I am angry with a pastoral anger that you might go home tonight and flip on your TV and have someone tell you that it's your fault and if you just charge up your credit card, then all will be well. There can be no lower exploitation than that. To exploit the vulnerable when they are at their place of greatest vulnerability. And so please forgive me if I'm sounding just a little intense about this. But I am just so conscious tonight. And we prayed as a pastoral team before this service started. This, this portrait of Jesus, this is not just about unpacking some theological information on a Saturday evening. This is life and death for some of us. That's why I feel passionate. Does Jesus still heal today? We affirm as a church that believes the Bible, yes, He does. Are we going to pray now for people who are unwell? Yes, we are. Do we expect that something will happen? We pray so. If something does, will we haul you up onto the platform so you can say, I was healed at Timberline Church? No, we won't. Because as Pastor Darry said, either last week or the week before, our focus must never be on us, but on Jesus, the healer. It doesn't matter where it happened or who prayed. But let's come to Jesus the healer. And let's ask. And everybody said. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord Jesus. 
We come to a, a subject tonight that is one that spurns passion, spurs passion because some of us know the, the terrible loneliness, isolation that pain can bring. Before we do anything else tonight, Lord, we would like to thank you for and pray for the wonderful mass of people who are involved in the medical profession in this community. We pray that you will continue to bless them with strength, that they will never see patients or diseases, but always people. And that as a cup of cold water is given, it's done in your name. Bless them, we pray. But now, Lord, we come to you to pray for those who are unwell among us. And as our heads are bowed, and I don't want to exclude anybody by asking people to stand, because it might be that because of disability you are unable to stand. But if you want to be included in this prayer, can I just ask you to, to slip up your hand, please, if you need physical healing. Would you do that right now? Healing doesn't come because the crowd gets excited. And healing doesn't come because the preacher shouts. But we come to you now, Father, in the name of Jesus. And we very simply ask, we pray in the name of Jesus for healing to come to this place. We pray for wonderful surprises this week. We pray that you will grant faith, hope, trust. We pray against cancers, heart diseases. We pray that Jesus, you will do what only you can do. In the name of Christ, as we look in your word and see a portrait of Jesus, the healer, we pray for your healing. You know, our, our time has gone. Just keep your heads bowed for a moment. The ultimate healing, as we think about Jesus, the healer, the ultimate healing is being reconciled to God in salvation and coming to Christ and knowing Him as Saviour. In the closing seconds of this service, as I'm looking around, I wonder if there are those tonight who would say, I want to become a Christian. I want to know this Jesus. I need my heart to be healed. I need my life to be healed. I need Christ. I want to give you that opportunity as we dismiss in just a few seconds. If that's where you're at, as I'm looking around for you in the South Auditorium too, can you just slip your hand up please as a way of saying, yeah, I, I want to choose to become a follower of Christ. Just slip up your hand right now so I can see it. Put it down again. Would you stand with me please, if you're able, all of us, let's stand. So now, Lord, as we go into a weekend that 
truly does celebrate freedom and independence. We pray, Lord, too, that this week might be a week when some find freedom and independence from pain. Jesus, you are the healer. Our trust is in you. We agree together in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Do not set yourself on fire. This is not good. God bless you. Our prayer team will be here. If we can pray with you, we would love to do that. Have a great weekend.